Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. Oz with me always, Winston the dog, and he's here, and his owner, Andrew Harris. Andrew, how's it going, man? I'm all right. I'm doing all right. You know, we're in this beautiful building. Uh, it's our first episode recording in uh, in a new location. New location. So I hope the audio sounds uh, decent. It sounds a little echoey here in the room. We yeah. Might, we might open the doors just to get a little less of that, but. Um, but yeah, we're in a new location. Uh, Andrew and I are now sharing uh, office space in Willow Park. I still have an office in downtown Fort Worth as well. We're not a partnership. We don't work together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, so just like downtown, not a partnership. <laughs> That's right. It's the running joke of my life. Um, no one wants to partner up with Andrew Decker. No. <laughs> <laughs> just... Just office with yeah, you. Yeah, that's right. We'll take your money, but not your not your name. So, uh, hey, man, you know, we have a really great episode for our listeners today. This is actually a pretty timely topic, right? Right, right. So during COVID, obviously, we have not had trials now in 10 months. Yeah. Um, uh, and we've talked about that. We've talked about the delay in that. But today, we're actually going to have, uh, a, have a guest talk about the right to speedy trial. Which is which is something that we get asked quite a bit. So it's nice to have it's nice to have somebody that actually knows what they're talking about and uh, to uh, discuss with us. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's always better to have an expert than have us talk about anything. Um, but it's Sherry Armstrong. Uh, she offices in Tarrant County and and run into her. Well, used to run into her on a regular basis in the courthouse, but obviously we don't run into anyone anymore anywhere. Yeah. Um, uh, but saw a few weeks ago her dilemma with a client about speedy trial and so we reached out to her to see if she would share some with us about that experience and kind of what you know maybe a little bit about what she thinks is going to happen to the speedy trial yeah and what we can all do maybe to some steps that we can all take to help our clients right right so so first of all sherry welcome to the podcast welcome to andrew and andrew on texas criminal defense Hi, Andrew. Hi, Andrew. And hello, hello everyone. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm very excited. Yeah, well, welcome, yeah. welcome. Great to have you. Um, so just so that the people out there know a little bit about you, um, how long have you been practicing and how did you get into criminal work? Oh my gosh. Well, I've, October of last year, 20 years. I, I can hardly even believe it's been 20 years. It's just, it's gone by so fast. Um, I started as an intern at the Tarrant County District Attorney's Office, and I believe around 1998, um, I interned with the criminal division, the civil division. Um, had, I was in the general felony court, and then I went to the crimes against children, had some really fun, amazing trials, got to you know, work with some amazing people as an intern. Um, then I was hired as a pre-bar hire. So I hadn't even passed the bar exam, but they hired me in misdemeanor because I, I guess they thought I had what it took. And uh, then when I passed the bar in 2000, I uh, became a real attorney, I guess you'd say. Um, then I was in the juvenile unit, um, promoted to felony. I was in oh, about, I don't know, around six or so courts, felony courts worked in crimes against children unit, juvenile division. I did a gun crime, gun crimes uh, grant at juvenile, misdemeanor supervisor position, narcotics. So I got to do a, quite a range of experience. You kind of did everything. Yeah, is there anything you didn't do? That's probably a shorter um, list. 
you know, it's funny. I didn't go to the um, family violence unit, so I, I don't know how I got out of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how long were you at the uh, DA's office? Um, I was a prosecutor for, I think it was 14 years. Oh, okay. Um, then I left in 2014. Um, I did do a stint. I did leave for a couple of years, and I was at the Lamar County District Attorney's Office. Then I came back to Tarrant County. So I've had big town and small town DA experience, which is interesting. Um, but I, I left. I left the business of being an assistant district attorney in 2014, and I opened my own business um, in criminal defense in 2015. Um, so it's, it's been great. I mean, it's 20 years of experience on both sides, which I think is super unique because I've seen it, the perspective from both sides, you know, prosecutor, criminal defense, um, representing victims, representing, you know, versus citizens accused, dealing with law enforcement on both sides, judges on both sides, court staff on both sides, analyzing the case issues and evidence from both sides. So I, I think it has helped me to represent people charged with crimes much, much better because I'm able to see a bigger picture um, from doing it so many years and having, you know, um, done so many cases, reviewed so many cases, had so many trials. And so I, I think it gives me a unique perspective and a unique, um, you know, uh, I guess way I can represent and advocate for clients. Um, so now I represent people charged with felonies, class A or B misdemeanors, juvenile offenses, and just in Tarrant County though. I, I don't stray outside of Tarrant County um, and I don't do traffic tickets. So I keep it kind of kind of narrow focused. Yeah, so. but that, that's really not that narrow. I mean, if, yeah. if you're talking about basically anything from, from a class B jailable, all the, you know, presumably all the way up, we don't normally get hired on really big cases because they automatically become indigent and then juvenile that that's enough to keep 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 you busy right well yeah especially oh. in tarrant county as as fast as it's growing oh yeah there, there's no dull moment like i yeah. i have no moments of boredom you know <laughs> yeah that's awesome that's yeah awesome. and it's nice to be able to just stick stick to one county you get to know the courts the court staff really well the ins and outs um yeah that that's a that's you know, kudos to you. That's great. Yeah. yeah. There's nothing worse than going somewhere and being treated as an out of towner, you know, um, <laughs> For sure. it's, it's horrible. And, and the bar association in Tarrant County is really good. We can give a plug to Tarrant County criminal defense lawyers association. They have a really good listserv. It's very active. Right. And, and that's actually how we, um, how we kind of thought about this topic uh, because you've had recently had some issues on uh, with a, a client needing some, or having some speedy trial um, issues come up in a case. Is that right? Uh, yes. And, you know, with this, with this pandemic, it's, it's, it's been a nightmare, you know, um, especially if you have clients in custody who either have a long criminal history or they're charged with a serious offense. Um, and it's, it's even worse if they're indigent and, you know, they can't pay the bond price. Um, so, it is very challenging in some cases. And I have um, a couple right now that I have been working on that, you know, you, you worry about them because it is a pandemic and they're in the jail and, uh, you know, they're exposed to so many things there. Um, 
and you know, not to talk, I don't want to talk about the specifics of the cases, but you you do worry about their physical well-being, their mental well-being, um, the case itself. Um, So the, it, it, yeah, I've, I've had a couple of clients that I've truly been concerned about and have been fighting for. Right. So, so again, not to get into specifics, but my understanding is, is that you had one client who had been in custody as of basically the first of the year for almost three full years. Right. In March of this year, it would have been three years. So that, that concerned me. Um, and you know, we probably would have already been at trial. Um, yeah. At this point with no real trial date in sight. Correct. Right. And it's already been pushed back to April now. So yeah, yeah, just horrifying. It's, it's horrifying as a, as an attorney, um, you know, fighting for them and, you know, you know, they, there's points where they think they're going to die in there. It's, it's, it's horrible. Um, And, you know, if, if the offense is, not that serious, but it's their criminal history. It just feels even worse, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so you do everything you can, um, you know, to, to find a way to release them or, you know, resolve their case in a way that they're, they're happy with. Um, you know, you just start looking for op- every option you can. Of course. So let's talk a little bit about that right to a speedy trial. First off, where, you know, where, where does that right come from? Where do we find that? Well, there's two places. Um, the first um, is the Sixth Amendment of our U.S. Constitution. Um, I mean, it specifically says in all criminal cases, the accused shall enjoy a right to a speedy and public trial. I mean, it says that. Um, it's supposed to give criminal defendants an absolute right to a swift prosecution. Um, and swift, you know, that's, <laughs> I've never seen a speedy trial, swift prosecution, but, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that, but it's, it's aimed at preventing the state from dragging out the process to the detriment of an accused person. Um, right. And they look at three different things. They look at, you know, um, the, the interest they're trying to protect is oppressive pretrial incarceration, incarceration, um, anxiety and concern accompanying the accusation and avoidance of impairment to the accused defense. Um, the other place that we find this right is Article One, Section 10 of the Texas Constitution. Um, and this right is independent from the, the US, the federal right, um, but the Texas courts commonly analyze them under the same factors. Um, and there's the Supreme Court case Barco, I'm mean, sorry, Barker v. Wing O. Um, I put the O on the wrong word, Barker (laughs) v. Wingo. (laughs) Um, But they commonly use the same factors. Um, The the factors that they use are four. So you've got, you know, there's three interests, then they use these four factors. And they're the length of delay, the reason for the delay, the defendant's assertion of his speedy trial right, and the prejudice to the defendant. And what they do with these is first they look, okay, well, let's look at these four factors. Okay, um, does each factor weigh for or against the accused? And then how much, are we, how much weight are we gonna allocate to each factor? Um, so, you know, there's no magic factor. There's no, you know, that's the magic formula, but 
there's nothing that says if you do this, this, and this specifically, you're going to get your speedy trial. Because as we know, all cases are different, all courts are different, all facts are different, all prosecutors are different, all judges are different. So the results are going to be all over the place. The facts are going to be all over the place. So, you know, they'll, they'll look at, you know, what interest are they protecting and, and what do we have for each factor? Yeah, so we have the, the three interests uh, that we need to be aware of. We've got the four factors in Barker v. Wingo. Um, and, and I guess, like, when you have a client that's in custody, uh, you know, how, how are you, as an attorney representing them, at what point are you bringing that asserting that right to a speedy trial? When, when is that right violated? Or, or maybe those are two different questions. Right. It's, it's like in my case, you know, I, I started thinking this, this is really getting unbearable to my client. Um, it, it's, it just, it almost just, it doesn't, it's a, it's fact-based, but it's also a feeling base. It's like, this doesn't feel right. This just doesn't feel fair. Um, you know, the courts look at the length of delay and case law says that eight months or more is sufficient to meet that threshold. Um, a delay of nine months, you know, eight, nine, you know, the lower months, even though it meets the threshold, it's unlikely they're going to say, well, you know, you've, your trial's been delayed nine months, you know, your, your case is, it's your right to a speedy trial has been violated. It's that factor is more if it's been years, you know, um, the longer the delay, the more likely this factor will be weighted. So they're looking at egregious cases. Um, there's a, a case called Chapman v. State where any delay over two and a half years is presumptively unreasonable. And it's like, duh, you know, right, right. <laughs> it's a long time to be sitting in jail waiting on a trial. I I've quoted that to a few clients who are at about six months going, where's my trial? And I'm like, uh chapman and i actually said chapman v state says two and a half before it's automatically probably too long um right. and you're at six months uh no we haven't hit there yet right so you know they're looking at w what's the delay um you know was it because of they didn't file the arrest warrant timely um was the arrest warrant not executed timely was the case not filed timely how many court settings have there been uh, has there been an unreasonable delay in trial setting? So they just look at the delay and 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 look at why, who, is it egregious? Um, they also look at resets, which is horrifying to me because, <clears throat> you know, all time covered by agreed resets are not included in the speedy trial analysis. So if you agree to reset a case, are you have a continuance that is attributed to the defense, you could lose your right to a speedy trial. And, you know, because it's zero days on the speedy trial clock. So you have to be very careful when you're resetting your cases as to, you know, is it on the trial docket? Um, if it's not on the trial docket and I reset it, is this going to go against my speedy trial? Um, and it's a real problem when 
before trial, you get a ton of discovery. I mean, and it never fails. The police officers start looking at their files and going, oh, oh, well, here's this offense report. Here's this video. Here's this we just got. And you get a ton of evidence that you're having to look through, which may lead you to have to have, you know, additional witnesses, further investigation. So there might be situations where you have to file a continuance. Um, you know, or if you, let's say if you had the flu and well, boom, is that a defense uh, continuance? So it, I think that's the scary part of it is, is when you reset your cases, that could go against the speedy trial. Right. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, Sherry, and you may have said this and I've, I've had a brain cloud. Um, presumptively, the speedy trial question comes in primarily only if they're in custody while awaiting trial, correct? Yes. That, that, That's a huge factor. It is. It is. Because if you're out of custody, I mean, you're going to have to come up with other factors saying why it's egregious. But I would say that the in custody is going to be the, the, the things that the situation that speedy trial will be seen in. I mean, that's that's going to be it. You, you've hit the nail on the head. Right. I, I yeah. can't imagine you'd have to have something really egregious if you're out of custody. <clears throat> Maybe it um, was an arrest warrant that was filed two years later, right before the statute of limitations, and it just caused your life to you know, go to hell. I mean, I don't know. You'd have to have some real, real egregious facts. Right. But, but I I do think though, that sometimes the, the delay it takes, I have two misdemeanors, two class B misdemeanors, one in, in, in two different counties that are still awaiting trial. One was a 2018 offense. One was a 2019 offense. So literally, if they would have very quickly taken a deal, their probation would be over. That's right. Right. That's but one a, yeah. of them, one of them, uh, truly, uh, we don't think our our client did anything wrong. And the other one is one where we think that public policy would say that that my client's doing exactly the right thing. So we really think there's something to fight for. But you're literally extending their pro. They're on bond conditions, although minor. They're on bond conditions for now two and three years, and then they could get most likely no judge is going to sentence them at this point, uh, but probation for another two years. And you go, this is, this is, if you would have sat in jail, it would have been 10 days time served. That's right. They're on what I call bond probation, and then they get real probation. And yeah, and their lives are on hold. I mean, they're, you know, they've got jobs that are asking them, Hey, uh, whatever happened to that case? Is it still pending? You know, well, we want to know the outcome before we hire you. Right. And, and, and again, it, so, so we often think about the speedy trial being for that person that, that's facing 20 years or, you know, 99 to life, and they're just sitting waiting. But sometimes it really can be the person who's, who's got a relatively minor offense and justice is being delayed. And so effectively justice is being denied. And what is, what is the relief? Like what, when you are asserting that your right to a speedy trial has been violated, what are you asking from the court? Well, you either get your speedy trial, you know, or you get a dismissal. And if, if the factors are met 
and they're weighted strongly. Um, you know, they also look at the state's justifications and the, the, the accused intent, you know, are they really wanting a, uh, a speedy trial or are they just trying to get a dismissal? But, you know, the, if the factors are there, the prejudice is proven and they didn't get their speedy trial, then it's, it's a dismissal, um, which, you know, that's rare. That's very rare. They, right. Yeah, what judge is going to find all that? It, it's like a unicorn, you know. It's, uh, most of the motions are ignored because they're deemed frivolous or not serious enough. So yeah, it's so, it's. So I a, guess if the attorney is filing it and it's not frivolous, the the on onus is on the attorney to have it set for a trial and or have it set for a hearing, and, and get a ruling on at the trial level on that on that motion. Right, and and you know the, the law, kind of the case law, says that the sooner the motion is filed, um, the more weight it will carry. But, you know, in the beginning of a case, you may not necessarily know where it's going or that things are fixing to be delayed or, you know, uh, for three years. And so you may not file it till later because you think things are moving along. Right. But if, then if, it's, if, if you have to be to eight or nine months for it to even really be reasonable and, you know, well, eight or nine months on, on most felonies, even if they're in custody and you think you might be going to trial, we're just getting to where, where maybe we're really now starting to change the flavor of the negotiation pattern, right? So I'm not filing one then, but at, at, as the attorney for the accused, at what point have you reached the, well, it's no longer early, but it's now definitely delayed. I mean, it, th that becomes some weird factors because eight or nine months to two and a half years is a big window. And we've all had cases where we thought we were getting close. And then, like you said, new evidence, somebody gets sick, um, you know, just anything. And suddenly we're pushed off another three or four months. Global pandemic hits and everything is canceled. Right. And, and that changes all of it because my understanding is that the, uh, I don't know if I've seen it officially, but basically they're saying that the pandemic is tolling the speedy trial days. That that's at least kind of the 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 impression I've been given. Is that is that the way you it is? It? No, it it is. It it is it is absolutely tolling the the speedy trial date. So that that's another problem. That's that's huge. So you know, there's another delay that you can't say is unreasonable because of you know a emergency declaration. Um, yeah, so it's it's frustrating. The, the governor suspending you know, certain provisions of the code of criminal procedure means our clients are just sitting there, unable to bond out, unable to get a PR bond and not able to have a trial on their case. Well, if they have a assault case from let's say 1981, well, guess what? They're not getting a pretrial bond and they're not getting their good time credit. Um, you know, and, and I, there was one more, I think, um, there might have been a prohibition on electronic monitoring or house arrest. So you've got, you know, all these further constraints on us and trying to resolve our client's case and trying to negotiate and um, trying to get our clients released. And, you know, if they have an old, old assault case, that could really uh, cause problems. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's always fun trying to explain to someone who picked up a criminal trespass of a habitation that the offer's 100 days and you will do 100 days because <laughs> of an assault that was true. On your criminal trespass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 20 years ago because it's all been wrapped up and the enhancements and, you know, and then there's the, the emergency enhancement. And, and 100 days probably on a criminal trespass of habitation, which is up to a year, was not a bad offer. But this guy just wasn't hearing it because he's like, I should be getting two for one or three for one. And I'm like, you got to talk to the governor. And right. That, they want that magic CTS, credit that, time served. Exactly. So um, so we've talked about the, that the ability, uh, the, the right to a speedy trial is related to the defendant's right to, or ability to make bond a little bit. Uh, that if they're out on bond, that, that that is greatly weighted to that they are not being harmed. But we've, before we started recording, we talked about having clients who, who because their bond conditions, and again, they've been not, they have not been found guilty. They've been maybe indicted, probably indicted of crimes where they can't, they're, where they can live is restricted, they're often on electronic monitoring, maybe on GPS monitoring, maybe on uh, a, a scram of some sort. And those become really expensive, right? And that's exactly some of the things that I argued for my clients. You know, the indigent are most at risk because they can't afford the bond price. Um, they're subject to bond probation with costly conditions, whether it be GPS, intoxilizer, home alcohol device, or it's very restrictive, it's house arrest, or they have to buy a certain kind of phone and put in a certain kind of application on it. Um, you know, and somebody who's been incarcerated a year, two years, going on three, they've, they've lost their, their liberty, their eligibility for employment. They lose social security benefits. They can lose their home, their car, um, everything in their home, they can lose important papers, um, such as a birth certificate, social security card, their IDs expire. Um, this, you know, causes extreme financial hardship. And, and then when they are released, you know, if, when you've been in custody that long, it's, it's hard to immediately obtain employment. Um, even, even in good, even in good times, you, you, when you just gotten out of jail, you walk down the street and walk into a restaurant and go, hey, I'd like to be a busboy. And they're like, where have you been? Well, I've been camping in Tarrant County, Lockup. Right. Yeah, yeah. They, and then make it harder in the sense that right now everyone is, or a lot of people are struggling to find a job. They, they get moved to a bottom of a list. Yeah, they've got no transportation, no stability, no IDs, no, no proper clothing. I mean, it's severely destabilizing economically and socially. Um, and, you know, uh, even clients who are stable can become an unstable um, because, you know, they've been in jail a week. They could lose their jobs. Then that loss of job leads to a loss of their car. And then, it, you know, it, it can just domino. So it can have some really serious effects. Um, you know, some of my, another thing that I, I have had, you know, that I uh, work into my arguments as the um, extreme mental um, anxiety is they've lost parents, you know, in custody. Um, you know, some of them have not only had COVID, but had the flu too. I mean, you know, so it, 
it can be, there's a, you know, a lot of, there is a lot of anxiety that goes on for being in custody that long. They, they lose a lot. They, um, and sometimes I wonder if that's really the price we're wanting, you know, people to pay. I understand there's, there's an offense, there's a punishment range, there's a price, Right. But sometimes I wonder about the humanity of some of these situations. Well, and it's not like, yes, I mean, there's, right, some of our listeners, I'm sure, are like, well, don't commit crimes. You won't be in that position. Like, one, right. there's right. been no adjudication, right? So, there's like a fact finder, a judge, or a jury has not made a determination mm-hmm. as to what happened, what occurred, and who's responsible. And we're just holding people in limbo, um, uh, taking away their liberty. And it, and it, for how long for the foreseeable future. And that is, that is ridiculous. Well, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. And it could happen. It is terrifying. Right. Just think about some of these crimes that we talk about on this show. Imagine being a a DWI. If you're a poor individual, can't afford a bond. And now you're, you're just, you're stuck. Right. Well, and, and, and I tell lots of clients, especially if I'm talking to the parents of a college age or high school age kid, I have those, I have two boys that are in that age group. And I go, look, I'm not saying your kid's a bad kid because any night could be the night that my kid could commit a felony. Right. And it's truly a, they go to the wrong party and there's the wrong stuff on the table or someone that they thought was a consensual relationship the next day said it wasn't. Right. It can be something that, that I'm not saying that it was right, right. That, that my kid did the right thing, but suddenly you're, you, you're facing a felony and you get arrested on that. And, and yeah, I, I, you know, if they if their parents don't have resources, they could be sitting for a long time. That's right. Waiting. All it takes is for somebody to say you did something. It's that's right. That, that can be very scary. It's terrifying. So, and now, you know, with the, with the backlog, I mean, everything is just getting piled up and piled up and piled up. So when we do start having trials, who's to say when, when these cases that have been around for years, how much longer are they going to have to wait for a trial? I mean, a a court, you know, a trial court can only try so many cases in a year. Um, So, so, so Sherry, one of the questions that we threw out to you early, uh, you know, we send, we send our questions out ahead of time so we don't surprise people. What you've kind of now taken this by the horns with one client. What are some of the possible solutions you see when the courts finally do start opening up with the backlog? Yeah. Well, I, I think they're going to go to rocket dockets, meaning, you know, everyone's going to have to be ready when your case is up. Um, I, I mean, they're, I think we're going to really be pushed to trial. Um, that's going to be one thing in, in an effort for the courts to move cases um, you know, with individual case, every case is different, like we talked about. I mean, you really have to get to know your client, talk to them, get to know their mindset, their home situation, their family support, their financial situation, their mental history. You know, do they have transportation? And then, you know, you look at their situation, then you look at the bond amount. Um, and, and right now, you, you know, it's, you can have bond hearings right now. Um, you know, so that's something that I, I, I try to do when I think a bond's too high, I try to see, well, let's see if we can get the bond down or let's look at the bond conditions and see if the bond conditions can be modified. Um, So you file those necessary motions and you request those hearings. Um, You know, can the client afford the bond conditions? Um, You know, 
talk to and you talk to the families is can the family are they willing to uh, post bond um, and then then you have to look at when they get out do they have a stable and supportive place to live um, so once you get all that then you can start looking at mitigation you know when they get out you know the MHMR caseload church support group you know work on getting a job get some clean urine tests you know, if they can afford it, complete some classes. I've had some people that were able to get back on their feet quickly, but then there's others. It's just, you know, being that incarcerated that long, it's hard. Yeah. Um, the more serious the offense, the more diligent and creative you have to be. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's certainly true. So, so you, you threw out a term there a, a, a moment ago that some of our listeners may not understand. You, you threw out the term rocket docket. Explain what you mean by that. Well... Because it's a term that's thrown around a lot, but I kind of have an idea, but I think everyone well, has different ideas. It, it really depends on how the courts want to do it. They could do it several different ways. Um, you know, they're going to look at the cases where the uh, they're the oldest and the person's been in custody to the longest. Those right. are going to going to be the first at the top of the docket. Everyone else out of custody um, on bond probation is going to wait. Um, but if if you're at the top of a docket, they could, they could have multiple courts going, they could bring in visiting judges, or they could send you to another judge. Okay, that all that all the trials for that judge fell through that week, we're going to send it to that judge. So I I think they're going to do whatever they can to have all the courts operating and move these cases and people who really want a trial or need a trial, they're going to want to give them a trial. I I think that's... So typically, uh, for those who don't know, if, you, if you're on a felony trial docket, uh, unless you're number one or number two on a list of about 40, you're probably not going to trial. And uh, the way I understand a rocket docket is that number one and number two are definitely going. And basically like one through 10, if number one and number two don't go, it's going to be, are you ready? Are you ready? You've worked it out. Okay, number six, you're going to trial in 30 minutes right? That it's. Yep. That's right. And if you're called number one, you better be ready, especially if you filed that speedy motion trial. For sure. that's, the, that's the first thing the judge is going to pull out. Well, you filed a speedy motion trial. Right. And the rest in the rest where normally if you're number, you know, five or below, you're like, Hey, we know we're not going. Well, if the others work out, you might be going this week. You might be going today. Um, so so to, to, to use terms from my previous lifestyle, it's going to be a time to gird up your loins, man. Um, right, do it. Right. Yeah, one, th- uh, yeah. one thing I was going to say is um, also research homes and organizations because there are some, some organizations or even churches or homes that will actually raise the bond money. Um, and, you know, and they're a alternative for the client if they don't have a home to go to to provide a structured, safe, supported environment. Um, and also one that might help them get back on their feet. So there's a lot of good organizations and homes out there. It just takes finding the right fit, the right structure that's good for your client and that the court and the assistant district attorney uh, agree to as well or have yeah. no objection to. Great idea. Yeah. And that's the good thing about practicing in Tarrant County. Um, they, you know, the MHMR system is really good. Um, so if you do have a client with some, uh, with some MHMR issues, uh, you know, look at your local, 
uh, MHMR what department or whatever. But that, but in in Tarrant County, the the mental health court will actually like help work with um, some of these indigent defendants and get them into a group home uh, to to provide you know provide transportation and all that kind of stuff. And then also as far as like just the way the court is structured, you know, um, there's a one specific misdemeanor court for assault family violence cases, and that may help speed up some of the, the backlog of those types of cases in the future. But, you know, your county, um, as a listener, your county may be different. Of course, you're going to need to do some research and, and call some of the, uh, the county employees or directors to, to see what's available in your specific county. Yeah, you're so right. They, they are really doing some good things with um, the, the mental health. They've got the outpatient, uh, res- outpatient competency restoration program. They've yeah. got the mental health court. So I, I talk to them a lot and trying to, you know, get a good fit for clients or a placement for clients or just, you know, get them in a program. So that they've done some really good things with that. Cool. Cool. Well, thank you so much for all for all the the, the actual legal information, the cases, uh, some of the things that we need to watch for, especially for our in custody clients, and how do we maybe provide some options to get them out of custody while awaiting trial. Andy, yeah, you look like you have a question. I, I do. Just something came to me, just as like a, a general piece of advice for our listeners, Sherry. Do you recommend that during this pandemic time, uh, the you know the practitioners that are listening just go ahead and file? a motion for speedy trial or like still just take it as a case by case basis? Um, I think you have to take it case by case. I I think you need to discuss it with your client, the realities of what a speedy trial motion is, what, you know, what the realities of it are. And is that something that they want? Um, Yeah. Usually they'll say yes. Right. (laughs) And and so even, even though we're going through this weird time, no trials are being um, scheduled. uh, Our clients are just kind of just stuck in, in jail. It does not give us the, um, the, the opportunity to just file, you know, frivolous motions or anything like that. Still, still be smart about filing these motions. Right. Frivolous motions. Never a good idea. I think it, it could be argued that, yeah, there's a pandemic. There's been a hold on them. But, you know, when you look back and you, you think, did I do everything possible for this client? And here the case law says you better file it as soon as possible. So you really have to, to think about it and be able to justify why you filed it. Not just, well, I filed it because I thought I should file it, you know, and it, even though there was a prohibition on it. I mean, you, you really have to look at, you know, have I done everything? Is this the right thing? You know, is this as soon as possible? So I think as long as you're able to justify it, you're, you're good. And you can say you did everything you could for your client. And then when the courts open back up, it's going to be on you to ask for your hearing, your speedy trial hearing. Right. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for clearing that up. Yeah. So we ask all of our guests uh, a few fun questions, partly so that we can find out, you know, a little bit more about them, not just what they know legally. Um, And so uh, our standard questions are these, and we'll start with the first one, the easy one, the fun one. Uh, do you have a favorite band or musical artist? Like if you have, if you're turning on the, the, your Apple music, what are you listening to? Uh, that's so hard for me. I'm kind of an eighties girl. I mean, I, I went through a Valley girl phase in, in high school and every now and then you'll, you'll hear me slip out with a, yeah, for sure. Or totally. Or, you know, gag me, <laughs> so, you know, so you'll, you'll hear that slip out. Uh, but I, I'm kind of partial to, you know, the eighties genre, you know, like Depeche Mode. Billy Idol, which I saw last year, by the way. 
um, the cure new order. Um, but if you, you know, if you had to push me into the recent, you know, realm, I'd, I'd say arcade fire. I, I, I really like their songs. So that's, that's kind of my musical preferences, I guess you'd say. <laughs> so so we, 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 we would have, we would have been listening to the same stuff back in the eighties. Yes. So, so we're I think it's the best. I just, I, I think it was the best time. Right, right. Well, some people think it was the worst time for music, but you know, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. <laughs> what about your favorite book, or or maybe just a book that you read recently that you you know you would recommend to people? Um, I kind of go with series, you know, like the Harry Potter, yeah. Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, Hunger Games. So, you know, uh, but you know, so I get I get a lot of series, the Outlander series. I, I, and then when they're over, it's like, I don't want to let go of the characters. It's like, I miss them. It's like we became friends, you know? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. You, you spend nine volumes with Harry Potter and you, you know, you become friends with those people. They yeah. are part of yeah. your life. Uh, um, I've never read any of the Harry Potter books. So no, really, the movies are oh my gosh, right, you, right. you're missing you, out you, on the magical world. The Star Wars universe. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. Oh Yeah. Yeah, a good, I, I like war books every now and, you know, I don't read too many because they can be depressing, but All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr, I think so you say, is a really good book, yeah. so I would recommend it. All the Light We Cannot See. Uh-huh. Yeah, great book. All right. Andy looks like he's read it too, so. so I think, yeah, I think I actually listened to that on audiobook. I'll have to go back through my Audible uh, wow. bookshelf and see if I have that. But I, I think I have his World War II book. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Cool. I love history books. Um, so what is the best piece of advice you've been given? Oh my gosh, I've received so much advice. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, over the years, you know, keep your overhead low. That's been a big one. Yeah, keep that's a, a good, good one. Yeah, work-life balance. That's that's always, you know, that's a battle every day. Take a vacation, you know, care about your cases, which, you know, I I, I do. I'm just, I'm, I'm passionate about my cases. Um, be yourself, be, be confident who you are. I think that was the earliest advice is be yourself, you know, cause when you first become an attorney, you're kind of figuring out, okay, what's my style. So you start watching other people and you try out their styles and sometimes it's disastrous. And yeah, you know, sometimes so you, it fits like, like, well, like it's like a sweater that got washed and you try to, <laughs> and everyone right. knows it looks bad. Right. So that's, that's the magic of those early years um you know like when I was in the misdemeanor section we just we tried cases all the time I mean you know one I was so excited when there were two trials a week because you really found your style you found your pace you found you found who you were as an attorney so I think that was you know a great experience and um and then you just kind of stick to it you you keep with who you are and what works for you yeah very cool that's great so all of our uh, listeners out there, if there's anybody who, you know, either needs representation in Tarrant County or just has general questions, where, uh, where can they learn more about you or contact you? Do you have a website you want to you wanna, uh, throw out there? I do. Um, ArmstrongAttorneyAtLaw.com is my website. And um, yeah, I, I love what I do. I'm very passionate about what I do. And I... Um, I enjoy being a criminal defense attorney. So definitely uh, my, and my, and my uh, contact number is 682-215-7404. Cool. 
Yeah, so Andy, we've we've done what almost thirty of these, thirty or so, yeah. right? And of all the defense attorneys or former defense attorneys or professors, like the thing that I hear the most is, "I love doing this job." Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's an easy it, it's it's a easy job to fall in love with. I, I don't know any other um, anything else I could do to that would be as interesting. The stories would be as good and I can help as, as many people as, as possible. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. Super interesting. And you get to help people. You get to help them change their lives. It's, 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 you know, or mitigate circumstances. It's, it, you know, you can, you can do a lot for people. Yeah. Yeah. And and oftentimes it's, it's people that nobody else wants to help at all. So thank you for your passion, Sherry. We appreciate you being on the show and sharing with us really some of the nuts and bolts and the questions that we're getting a lot of as people are sitting and waiting, whether they're in custody or out of custody of when, well, we don't know when am I, are my rights being infringed maybe, but it's going to be hard to prove because of the tolling, yeah. um, et cetera. So no, this is really a timely subject, I think for, in our line of work. So thanks. And thanks for all you do. Um, Thank really, you. Just, I would weekend. tell everybody, don't give up. Yeah. Keep fighting. Certainly true. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for listening to uh, another episode of Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. Andy, where can they find us? Well, you can find us online at uh, TexasCrimDefense.com. I was going to say www, but you don't have to. We don't. We've discussed this. TexasCrimDefense.com. You can contact us directly through that website. You can also find us on Apple, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. You can find us on Facebook. For sure. You manage at, that group, at the, actually, At the you? Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense Facebook page. Um, uh, you can find us there. You can contact us there. Just you, wherever, guys. Yeah. Reach yeah. out to us. We're always available, um, willing to, to answer questions. And, and probably if you ask us a question, it's going to become a topic on our show. Right. And remember to share this with someone you love. That is the best thing that you can do. So thanks again, Sherry, and and thank you all, everybody, for for listening. And we'll see you on the next episode uh, coming up on the 15th. Thanks.